1: call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024.
3: Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. what did you work on yesterday? What were you doing?
4: It was kind of fun. We did a. Uh, it was a promo for all the NBA Live TV shows. Yeah. With all their hosts, you know Isaiah, Thomas. Okay. Uh, was Chand was C. Fry. Barkley in the house? No, no, uh,
3: no. You've worked with them though, right? Uh, Charles? Charles Barkley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Those guys do the NBA on TNT. Oh,
3: okay. So this is different.
4: Yeah. Which is funny because the studio is right next to it. But I was remarking that I don't think I've ever shot in there because the NBA TV is. So busy, they're always live in there. Yeah, so, yeah. We did promos for all their shows. It was fun. Nice. And the, the director over there, Kyle Wells, was a lot of fun to work with, and you know, it was it was a fun day.
3: Well, uh, what are you doing tonight? Happy Halloween! It's Halloween, everybody. I know. Like this is almost in real time. That's how down to the wire I'm playing things these days.
4: <laughs> Halloween is such a, a strange event. You know, it's it's. I guess when I was a kid, I just you know Halloween happened when we went and went door to door. But now it's like, you know, I was driving through the driving through Atlanta last weekend I saw mm-hmm. kids out in Morningside and trick or treating? Yeah, I guess they did it the weekend before. What? Because what the fuck is going on in Morningside? The weekend after would be past the 31st. Yeah. Oh, so
3: they wanted to do it on a weekend?
4: Yeah, but not after actual Halloween, I guess.
3: Well, no, cuz trick or treating in November is weird, but the whole that that's all weird because my neighborhood is very strict about <laughs> Halloween night. You're strict in your satanic observances
4: <laughs> of right. All Hallows' Eve.
3: <laughs> Sam Hain, come down.
4: <laughs> we can only sacrifice the newborn <laughs> as the moon waxes it on the 31st.
3: It is, uh, no, it, it, there's always someone on the neighborhood Facebook page is like, hey, why don't we push it to Friday this year? And everyone just piles on. And this year, uh, as you know, it's been raining nonstop. And they were calling – I think it's going to clear up just in time, but they were calling for thunderstorms and people were dumb enough to say, hey, do we really have to trick-or-treat in the rain? And then people started piling on about kids being soft. <laughs> and I was going like, well, I don't want to walk around in the rain either.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: I, so I'm soft. Soft like baby shit.
4: As, a, as an older American, I, uh, I I cannot get into this piling on the millennials. I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for, my, for our uh, – Younger uh, brother or younger brother? Yeah, I remember <laughs> being younger. It's, it's not easy. I would not go back to my twenties for anything. That was a
3: oh, a hard I liked time my in 20s. life.
4: Really? I mean, I had fun, but it's there's so much pressure. You feel like you should be farther ahead in your career. Well, and, you know, it's.
3: I think what we all want is to go back and be in our whatever age we want to be with the current, either wisdom or status or both.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's
3: well, like, I would love to be where I am in life now at 26. Yes. <laughs> That'd be
2: fucking fantastic.
4: <laughs> as I like to say, I do, for me, I'd just like to be skinny again. Not, <laughs> oh, I'll be just as dumb as I was, but could I just be skinny oh, again God. for a minute? I thought it was fat back then. <laughs>
3: I look at those old pictures and I'm like, yeah, oh, boy, you don't know fat. What? Uh, you should go trick-or-treating with us tonight. What are you guys doing? Anything?
4: She's working again tonight. It's It's...
3: Well, if you want to come in, I mean, there are worse things to do than walk around the neighborhood with Ruby and with a beer in your hand.
4: What's she, what's she dressed as?
3: Uh, you know, we a what? (laughs) She's dressed as a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's a beer can. She's a duff beer. No, she, we, we fought the, uh, princess thing successfully for four years in our house. But this year she finally wants to be Sophia, the princess, Sophia the first. It's a cartoon.
4: Well, that's not a bad one because she was she was adopted. And... It's fine.
3: Oh, Was Sophia adopted? Yeah. See, I don't even know this. <laughs> yeah.
4: I know this because of Lily. <laughs> oh uh, well, that helps then. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, if she's gonna if she's gonna go for a princess, let her go for one that's you know
3: right. No, I like that. I didn't know that all tied in because we bought Ruby.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and and I, it seems like you guys are gonna keep her. I tell point. her all
3: the time. I know the warranty has run out. Even um, yeah, so she's a princess and it's fine. It's cute and we're we're not gonna begrudge her.
4: The thing she loves? No, you have to be a scientist. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's here's, your, here's your pocket protector and your slide roll. Aren't they fun?
3: That's right. There's plenty of time for no fun later in life.
4: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, be more disturbed if she wants to be a princess when she's 14. Right.
3: <laughs> now, did you watch any um, scary movies and stuff as we're tailing off of Halloween? You're not super into those.
4: Uh, you know, we talked about We were trying to figure out what to watch. We ended up watching Shadow of the Vampire, which was the uh, –
3: the original no that was no. the it was like the re- oh the willem Dafoe thing yeah right
4: yeah which was you know of course the role he was made for now was that scary <laughs> isn't that just a biopic about the making of Nosferatu. No, it's, it's not scary at all <laughs> okay. that was as we sat there and watched it and got deeper and i was like boy i forgot this is really just an art film about right. how <laughs> th- how to make movies well it's essentially you know a story about how a director would just assume kill everyone on the crew to get right. this movie made, which is what it is. By the end, Malkovich is yelling over at a oh, is he the director? Armando Santé, who's been you know had his blood sucked out by William Defoe, and he's like, uh-huh. "Could you move the cross to the right? <laughs> this frame is not tenable. <laughs> this frame is not tenable. You should say that on set next time." <laughs> it's so now, great. I never saw that. Was it good? Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it is it, good. It, it's kind of like the, uh, like the Peter Jackson King Kong, you know, where everybody keeps, dying. oh, you mean terrible? <laughs> well, <laughs> I over, mean, over long and terrible? No, it's, I mean, it's an art film. It's, it's, it's not fun. It's not a Halloween movie. I, you know, about an hour and 10 minutes in it. I really regret it. That I was like, boy, it's just never going to get scary. It just keeps getting weirder.
3: Yeah. I mean, you, I know that you like some of the new horror stuff that's like quality films, but, I don't. I don't ever remember you as being a big like sort big of slasher hokey, guy. yeah, slash
4: guy. Although uh, I did buy Halloween today. Oh yeah, the original was on sale for like seven dollars. Digitally, yeah. So I thought, Well, now I bought an actual copy. I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I want to buy DVDs. I don't want. To, oh really? I don't. I don't want to own something that's in a cloud someplace. Right. When Amazon yeah. splits off into something else, and right there go your movie. Yeah. There goes
3: your movie collection. Yeah. The, yeah, that's Jeff a good Jeff Bezos
4: will take my movie collection to Mars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I have been watching a lot of movies because we did a slasher roundtable, and I'm not well-versed in all those, and so I've been watching a lot of that stuff.
4: Would you? Uh, what, did you see anything that uh...
3: – I saw Black Christmas a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, great movie. Um, I saw a great one that everyone's tired of hearing me talk about called The Burning. Uh Feature debut of Holly Hunter, Jason Alexander, and Fisher Stevens.
4: Wow. <laughs> Very first movies. Oh, my
3: goodness. Uh, it was really good. Uh, Watch one called. Um... Is
4: Fisher Stevens one of the Hardy Boys?
3: No. Who were the Hardy Boys? It was. I'm, I'm actually going to look this up, which I rarely do. You mean the old TV show?
4: Yeah. Or maybe he was in like the remake of or the TV movie of Jan and Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson going, were the Hardy Boys that Fisher yeah. <laughs> Fisher Price yeah Fisher Price <laughs> were you it's Jan or Dean
3: I saw Jan and Dean perform at a uh, at a what was it I think it was the Charleston <laughs> no it was the Charleston West Virginia Regatta Festival <laughs> Clambake uh, yeah. <laughs> and Clambake <laughs> slash Clambake um, back when I worked at Stone Mountain Park and sold the glow-in-the-dark uh, necklaces, my boss, you know, had a had contracts to do these little festivals all over the country. a so sweet connection for you. He took us to Charleston to see that and Jan and Dean. It was so sad because, you know, Dead Man's Curve, one of them had, like, that bad car wreck. Yeah. They're, they're, I don't they're... know if it was Jan or Dean, but he, it was the one that was up on stage, like, not doing well.
4: Yeah, I think, I think we just – let's just end that topic right yeah. there. <laughs> but one...
3: the, the good ending to that story is uh, Guess Who Also Performed? Uh, a little band called Cheap Trick.
4: So that was like
3: <laughs> my third or fourth of ten times that I've seen Cheap Trick was at the Charleston Regatta
4: Festival. Very good. Well, uh, and I think if you ask them, they they still remember that show too.
3: How do we get down that road? We were talking about horror movies. Uh, I watched Te- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. What would you think? I thought it was fucking brutal and terrifying. Yeah. Can you, and, met, can you and imagine really watching it back in the day? When... That's all I talked about. <laughs> On the podcast was, what in the fuck did people in 1974 think when they went to the movie theater?
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, talk, talk about the dissolution of the uh, nuclear family. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, uh what so I like, my friend. So, I like that I just realized on my video desktop right now on YouTube, I have a video called Mark Knopfler on guitars <laughs> that you would probably be interested in.
4: I remember me... when we were in Australia and, uh, and, and Dire Straits was touring without a single – original member of Dire Straits. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think there was one guy or something, but yeah, Dire Straits without Mark Knopfler is not Dire Straits.
4: Yeah. I was, I was just like...
3: That, no good. That,
4: that cracks me up. You, you wonder how that happens. I, I feel like maybe, you know, when they split up, he, you know, he put somehow like in the divorce settlement, he got the right step. Well, you can tour... As Dire Straits? You can tour in the Southern Hemisphere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he in just tours years. as Mark Knopfler
3: and he, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get some Dire Straits. And shushed if you sing along. That's right. <laughs> All right, horror movies—they were good. Uh, what so was I'm that? Not,
4: uh, not to digress too far. What was that horror movie that uh, there's like a Nick Cage horror movie that Clay tells me? Oh, have Mandy. To see. Mandy. See. Yeah, I'm
3: shocked that you haven't heard of that. Uh, Mandy was like a big deal. It's bonkers.
4: This this last year, I really fell off my hundred plus movies a year at the theater. Kind of. Yeah, you only saw eighty five. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, Mandy was. Um, you should definitely see it. I think my review. Noel. Co host Noel loves it.
4: I watched the trailer. It's, it, it's
3: bananas. My review was 25 year old Chuck would have loved it. 48 year old Chuck was like, eh, I get it. It, it didn't offend me, but they're it, not it making was movies fine. for us anymore. They're really not. <laughs>
4: 18 to 25, <laughs> chosen demographic.
3: Yeah, they made movies for us when we were like 11. They were making movies for 40 somethings.
4: Yeah. I watched Hocus Pocus. I think that's the biggest Halloween movie I watched. Lily was. I've never to watch seen that. that. I need to check that out. That that's uh, Ruby appropriate, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Dora Birch is like you know, young Dora Birch, probably uh-huh. like seven or eight years old. But it didn't show like Bette Midler naked or anything. Oh God! No. <laughs> I mean, it's a scary movie, but not that scary. <laughs> hey <laughs> All apologies to Bette Midler. That was low hanging fruit. I and love Bette Midler. I love Bette Midler. Yes, I've. <laughs> seen beaches and not cry every time.
3: Um, but we're finishing up Halloween. Uh, I have to put my scary movie stuff on pause for yet another year that I watch by myself because, you know, Emily does not party that way.
4: Yeah, that, Lily doesn't really like them either, that, which was uh, odd that she wanted to try and find a scary movie to watch. Yeah, next it time. Just, up being Hocus Pocus. So. Yeah.
3: Um, and you haven't seen The Lighthouse yet still? Or did you go see it?
4: No. I don't think it's out here in Atlanta yet. Oh,
3: really? It might come out tomorrow. Oh, well, see, I was in Manhattan. <laughs> oh, this one time when I was in Paris. <laughs> I was in Man-ah-hata. Uh Yeah, I just happened to catch it when I was there. And it was uh, just... I kind of want to go see it again. I was thinking about going to see it again with you, but... Um, just let me know when you go. And if I can, I will.
4: Well, I want to because you had that, uh, you know, you had that great idea for a, a lighthouse movie that was... I know. It, never, never happened. It was, it was, you were right there in the... Uh... Well, this is much better than what I wrote. Well, you know, the whole idea of lighthouse movies was floating around the <laughs> ether. It was like right after that. There's There's oh, yeah. been a series of lighthouse movies in the I last know. few years. I don't though. know what the deal is. Someone finally looked up and said, what a great
3: setting for a movie yeah. about scary isolation. <laughs> uh, I will say, I mean, I said this is a better movie than what I wrote. Which it is. That's well, just a different. Movie. But it's a completely different movie than what I wrote.
4: Yeah, this is this is. It seems it seems like it's a much more internal psychological, like man versus solitary confinement kind of story. Yeah,
3: man versus nature, man versus man, uh, man versus self,
4: man versus seagull,
3: man versus self, uh, flagellation, man- man masturbation versus cornbread. <laughs> there is <a> masturbation, <laughs> by
4: the way. So just get ready for that. Well, I can't wait to see it with you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: How doers get more done. Uh, Okay,
3: everyone. Scotty is sitting across from me back for part two of our film noir series. And I'm letting you sort of drive the train as far as the movie picks. And you picked the movie from 2005 by a little director named Ryan Johnson called Brick, which I know I saw and I must have seen it in 2005 because I didn't remember any of it. Really?
4: What a a fun thing to get
3: to see it again for the first time. And so much so (laughs) that I was like, did I see this? And I was like, I think I did. Then I was like, but are you sure? Then I was like, I don't recognize these guys. Then I was like, I know Jordan (laughs) (laughs) JGL is up there, and I've seen him before in a movie. But then I was like, am I really thinking of Third Rock from the Sun? And I was like, no, that's impossible. That was a TV show with John Lithgow. This was
4: definitely (laughs) the first time I saw him in something besides Third Rock. And I never watched Third Rock, but I I I knew who he was from that. I, I remember seeing him in this and just thinking, wow, that guy can act.
3: Yeah, because this was sort of one of the first things he did after that, right? I mean –
4: The first thing I saw, I mean i bet yeah. – he, he was a child actor, so he's probably got a ton of movies under yeah. his belt. Yeah, he probably made a bunch of little Disney movies or but something. But he did this one and then well, just three or four years later, he did you know 500 Days of Summer, which right.
3: was – Right. And then Looper. Such a fun movie. He seems like a good dude. And uh, does he have a podcast? I want to say he has a podcast. Probably. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> yeah. he seems He seems like a guy that would. Uh, but this was, I mean, we should go ahead and just talk about what a ballsy thing this movie was. Well,
4: it's such a fun one, too, because well, I guess we did Third Man last time. So we, we sort of started old school noir. And the, the great thing about this one is it's, you know, 2000s. It's a great, and, and apparently Brandon Johnson, I guess, you know, got in, went down the Dashiell Hammett yeah. rabbit hole. and That's, that's what, what I read. You know. Have you ever read any of that stuff? I have, yeah. Is I'm, it good? I think that's why I'm a, a big fan as well, you know. And yeah. I always like thrillers because they're so intricately plotted. I like a good intricate plot, you know?
3: Boy, this one's intricate. I mean, so
4: much so that it's hard to follow at times. Um, Yeah, I I was telling Tyler before he went out that I watched this a couple of weeks ago when we were first going to do it. And I didn't get a chance to watch it last night. And I'm I'm hoping because I still remember all the twists. (laughs) Because,
3: (laughs) Well, there are a lot of twists. um, But such a ballsy film, especially for a first-time filmmaker, to say – Hey, you know what I'm going to do?
4: Hard-boiled detective story.
3: Hard-boiled detective film noir set in a high school. Uh, It was a hard sell. I think he he took a lot of meetings before anyone. I don't think anyone greenlit it. I think he raised the money himself. Yeah, I think,
4: as I recall, I think he self-financed. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how you sell this to someone, you know?
3: And the fine line he walked between, um, like he 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 kept. Everything he played it straight, which is the only way you could do this. Mm. Um, but he kept the dialogue that that same snappy, noirish detective yarn
4: dialogue. Yeah, a lot of very cynical, uh, hard boiled detective talk, and just you know all the tropes. I mean, just, it's funny by the end of it. Joseph Gordon Levitt is just he keeps getting beat up and oh, he's throwing yeah. up blood. Uh-huh. And you know what I mean? That's like such a that's classic. a noir thing, isn't it? Yeah, like
3: you just, just put the, the the main dude through shit yeah, over and put, over. By
4: the end, he's just you know, and he's still you know. He constantly has the chance to turn around and just turn a blind eye to the injustice yeah. and, and save himself and he won't. He just keeps staggering and
3: I know. That's such a Nora thing. It's like you can you beat the shit out of them, but it's not like they're they're superhero tough as nails. Like It's they're, not Captain they're, America saying I yeah, can do this all day. They're hurting and <laughs> beleaguered and like in every single one of these kind of tropey roles and he pulls it off so well he's just like I mean you think he's gonna Emily kind of half watched the end and she was like why does he keep coughing (laughs) so like i think he's just got like blood in his stomach from getting the shit kicked out of him yeah over and over
4: and over yeah pretty much everybody beats him up or tries to beat him up i think
3: but he always gets back up and swings back hard like he was tough but without being a tough guy if that makes sense yeah
4: well he ends up beating up uh you know brian white's character the big uh the bad man on the big man on campus is that uh, tug or or is that oh no the the, the first guy yeah. yeah
3: yeah that guy was he was intimidating I love he always had an answer like, what are you doing here? And he went, "Uh, just listening. (laughs) he always had a smart ass answer that was really just truthful. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But um, the fine line he walked, I think, as a director to doing the dialogue like this, playing it straight. There's only a couple of times where he even shows his tongue in his cheek, like the one great moment when – and we're kind of jumping around, uh, and we'll do some of it in order. But when he's he goes to finally meet the pen in the basement, and Lucas Haas is so good in this movie, <laughs> and he plays this drug lord, and he's got the cape and the cane. It's all creepy, and they're in this creepy basement. And then they smash cut to upstairs and his mom is trying to find like orange juice or like milk or something juice,
4: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but that's only one of the few times he sort of plays with it a little bit
4: yeah that, well, well i think the whole pig character that's that's what's so fun about it is like the the, the stakes of the movie are high i mean somebody's already been killed and uh-huh. here you are meeting you know who you think at this point is is your your john houston all right. of chinatown the baddest of the bad uh-huh and, you know his, his mom's <laughs> serving. You know, worried she doesn't have. I can't enough, find enough any juice. Milk. How about some milk? I've only got two percent.
3: <laughs> she was like, "But you're drinking. You're having milk with your cereal because he had cereal in front of him. Yeah, it's like the ultimate kid thing." Uh, and the other thing with the fine line, I thought, was um, he could have very easily made, uh, even though all the characters are straight out of the noir handbook, the brain, the the femme fatale, mm-hmm. the dame. Yeah, like they're all right there, um, but he doesn't like. I guess the, the film fatale and dame is sort of gussied up, but like he left jo- Joseph Gordon Levitt scruffy. Like he didn't make him this kid in a suit in high school with a fedora and slick back hair.
4: No like he, he was, left him a high school kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was he was and he and he was and he was definitely down on his luck. Well you start the movie like, you know, his he's been dumped. Right. You know. Yes. How does it open up again? I'm trying to remember. Well, does the he, very does he first thing. Find the body right. Yeah, off?
3: the very first thing that happens is you open on that shot of him looking at the body. That's right. And yeah. then, in a very noirish way, it says two days previous. And then you go back, and you're going to find out how we got to this point.
4: That's such a fun opening for a movie. I always like those where uh, it, it gives it. you something, and then. You know you start forgetting about it immediately yeah. you're, because you're sort of overwhelmed taking in all this new information, and you know eventually you're like, "Oh, yeah, that's right, she's dead, yeah, I'm a
3: huge <laughs> fan not only of that, but uh, even more specifically the movie that starts where it ends and then uh, eventually ends up back in that same place, yeah,
4: kind of like that the old memento so great, another movie that almost didn't get didn't get bought apparently always yeah. always makes me scratch my head when i, I Is read that, that place, yeah, I'd call that. could noir. we do that? Absolutely. All right.
3: So, yeah, I mean, let's a- tackle that one because I haven't seen that one, dude, yeah. in like maybe since it came out. I saw it a couple of times.
4: I mean, that's kind of the ultimate detective story because it's the guy yeah. trying to detect himself.
3: That's right. <laughs> Joey Pants.
4: Joey Pants. <laughs>
3: uh, Who's the main guy? What's his face? Uh, guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, but yeah, very noir opening. You've got this dead body, then it goes back. And it, it also kind of struck me as like, and then I confirmed later on that my instinct was right. Ryan Johnson admitted that David Lynch was a big... Uh, influence but this sort of felt like to me like lynchian and like if david lynch made a high school movie it would sort of feel like this a little bit yeah
4: he would have just found emily's ear right
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because lynch isn't fully noir but he dances in that world a lot you know
4: yeah but his his are just so bizarre bizarre noir noir, (laughs) (laughs) bizarre noir is what snoop dogg would call it Copyright, patent pending, along <laughs> with <Four> Pete and <laughs> Taco Tuesday. <laughs> oh. oh, God.
3: Didn't LeBron James try and fucking yeah. patent Taco Tuesday? I it's like, are
4: you kidding me, dude? I think he did it sort of tongue-in-cheek because he had he was doing Taco Tuesday like sort of social media uh-huh. with his family. And yeah, And yeah. he was getting grief from some company oh. over it. So he's he, like, I'll just buy it. And, and then <laughs> the, the article I saw was like Taco Tuesday goes back to like the 40s or something, you know. Oh, like, okay. you
3: know. I thought it was some dickhead move.
4: It, maybe it was, but it, it seemed almost to be like he was just sort of saying, really, guys? Really? Am I going to have to, like, copyright <laughs> it to try I'm going to lawyer up <laughs> to, over Taco to Tuesday? Taco Tuesday with the kids?
3: Uh, I love that scene. Well, I love the brain, or I love brain mm-hmm. as the character, like. I love Lamp. It's <laughs> it's such a, uh, you're just naming things you see in the room, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's such a noiry thing to, you know, not only this one character who seems to have all the knowledge and all the street knowledge, but uh, always meeting up in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Like it's usually a, a newspaper reporter and they meet in the public library and talk between the bookshelves. <laughs> but in this case, it's just like the outside of the high school.
4: Yeah, exactly. They, 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 yeah, they meet out back.
3: And they, when the well, it's
4: great too because it's a detective story. So he's, you know, he's like his private. It's like a private detective with his assistant. You know? Yeah, it's
3: like, he's got his little assistant, but you never see him do would, anything. She would be
4: like his secretary, in a you know, right. the, <laughs> give me those files on the Heathcliff give, endeavor. Yeah. Give me the
3: McKendrick file. <laughs> Stat. Uh, the the very first time we meet Brain, though, when they're passing the Rubik's cube back and forth, <laughs> it's just again such a little like tongue in cheek nod because in the the old school noir version, like that, would be a gun. One of them is cleaning or something, <laughs> and then he would hand him to the to the guy, and he would sight it or something. In this case, it's a Rubik's cube.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so great. If only it had Pokemon's on it. <laughs> Did it really? No. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I had I had a Rubik's cube that had Pac Man on it when I was in school. Oh, really? So I always that's a. Association in my head, uh-huh. Rubes Pac-Man are forever married because it was. I didn't, I didn't know that mashup happened. Oh my god! It couldn't have, couldn't have been happier for a seventh grader. <laughs> uh,
3: the only uh, the other cool thing about this movie and, and what he did here was, it kind of struck me last night that he he kind of introduced noir to a a new generation. I mean, this wasn't some blockbuster movie that all the kids went and saw, but it was a high school movie that I'm sure a lot of young people saw this movie maybe because. JGL was in it and had no idea what film noir was and we are probably like what the fuck am I watching (laughs) you know with this dialogue
4: yeah well I mean it it wasn't far off I mean I was probably what 34 35 when it came out so I certainly knew about noir but I mean you know not as much as I know now and you know it it was definitely movies like this you know updated noirs that got me interested in in the old noir so yeah
3: and he was faithful to it you know he had the jazzy score um, didn't do black and white which could have been cool
4: Probably smart not to do black and white. I mean, he shot. I mean, it was shot on film. Yeah, black and white's tough. I. I mean, it's tough to do well. I think, you know, right. Just what do you see? The lighthouse.
3: It's huh. it's gray. It's not even black and white. <laughs> it's not like these great sharp contrasty
4: colors. It's sort of just a dismal gray. <laughs> that reminds me of the road. Remember Cormac McCarthy, the movie. Yeah, man. I was like, I just wanted to like open my veins in a hot bath after that. I was just it like was so bad. depressed. Yeah, that movie was just brown. Uh, did you read the book? I, I couldn't read
3: the book. Yeah, I read the book too. I read it, I think, before I saw the movie.
4: I tried to read the book. It's tough. Recently, actually, and because I read uh, No Country for Old Men, but I, I mm, yeah, that's I a good know. one too. That, that that movie just you know
3: he's had a great track record with uh, adaptations. We were talking about that on another show. Like most of his books have become really good movies.
4: Yeah, yeah. He was even you know, you think Stephen King would kill to have that track record. He's <laughs> he's had a lot of stinkers. Yeah, he really has. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny. Me, I want
3: to read you this review real quick speaking of people being confused by this movie (laughs) this was on just i think i guess you can just leave a google review or
4: something is this for this movie
3: yeah for brick you like any old schmo can just leave a review and it can pop up on like page one google (laughs) i'm not going to name this person because i don't want to embarrass them this is only a month ago uh overall (laughs) god overall the concept of this movie is great However, in detail, the movie has issues. It seems like a mix between a movie a film major made for a final project and a professional who uses way too much slang because they think it's cool. <laughs> the movie had incredible shots, and I love all of the shoe scenes. <laughs>
4: <It> gets better. <laughs> I could think of a shoe scene right off the bat, so yes. They, no, there they, are they, shoe definitely, scenes. They, they definitely watched the movie.
3: <laughs> there are a few shoe scenes. Um, the characters were way too mature for high schoolers, Who uses that much slang, innuendo, and figurative language in high school? But the movie did talk about how Brendan did take an accelerated English class. So I guess that makes sense. (laughs) There are a bunch of problems with this movie, but it was Ryan's first film. And if you take long enough, you can find the solutions in the story.
4: (laughs) What does that even mean? I love it that they... uh... I love it that they noticed that, uh, that yeah, everybody was a little bit too mature for high school. Right.
3: And he talked in a weird way, but they did mention he took an accelerated English class. Yeah, I could explain
4: <laughs> things. So they don't know what film noir is, clearly. Wow. Well, they were probably puzzled how uh, how Lucas Haas was a drug dealer in his mother's basement as well. But. Yeah.
3: I forgot about him and I was just so impressed with his performance. He was so cool and intimidating. But then also like... Fit right in sitting in his mom's kitchen.
4: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was such a weird movie. Was funny, like that scene later when they go to the beach and they're just sitting on the beach together. <laughs> yeah, that's a
3: great <laughs> sequence, actually. Be- like, there's not a ton of super impressive cinematography in here, but that was some of the best.
4: Well, d- they didn't have a lot of money, so they didn't have a lot of time. Right. So I think like 500 grand or so, 20 days. There was, as I often say, money solves most problems in the film business. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have money, you don't get to solve a lot of those problems. Cinematography is probably way up there.
3: Yeah, but you know what? I feel like if someone gave you and I $500,000 in 20 days, we could make a, a, a pretty decent little movie.
4: Or we just disappear to Mexico <laughs> <That's> for <right. laughs>
3: three weeks. And live for five years. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he didn't try to make it. I think I read that, too, that he didn't focus on really doing all the noorish uh, Sort of cinematography tropes.
4: Yeah, I don't think he, but he, you know, he didn't go for. I mean, there, there certainly are some level or blinds in there. There's a few blind patterns. There are. Yeah, but, that's uh, true. You know, it's not like it was all shot at night, which you know, certainly on film increases your cost if you're trying to shoot at night. Yeah. You, you know, daylight, yep. daylight dependent is the available cheap way to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he did do a few things. You're right,
3: but I think I uh, in the article I read, he said that he was really concentrating on story and the acting and the performance. And that he spent uh, a lot of, which is a luxury when you don't have a lot of money, he was able to spend a lot of time rehearsing. uh, Yeah, which which is interesting because
4: you got, you know, Brian White, Megan Good, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Lucas Haas. You know, you wouldn't think that he necessarily had a lot of time with them, but if you're living in California, maybe.
3: Yeah. And some of those people were pretty new, though, at the time. Um, Like, I didn't know who Megan Good was at all, and I looked her up after, and she's done a lot of stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, I think that was the first time I remember seeing her. She's yeah. so great in that kabuki makeup. Oh man, the... she was really good in this movie. Yeah. She was I, I don't know, like I'm sure Nora I believe I worked with her in Stomp the Yard too. Oh, really? Uh, I had the privilege of working on Stomp 1 and 2. Oh, nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um I'm sure these have names like Nora names like the Dame and the Finn Patel or whatever, but mm-hmm. do you know what she would have been? I don't know what you would call her. The I mean, floozy? Yeah, she's <laughs> she's definitely another floozy. She's really good and it's a vital role in any movie like this. It, it, sort of the same purpose as the brain in a way. She
4: was a bit of a red herring, really, wasn't she? Because well, that's he was true. always going to her looking for stuff and maybe he got pieces from her, but Emily tends out turns out to be the femme fatale and the Right. You know, the real That's right. The real culprit. There are some great shots though. Even the cinematography might not have been great, but like that, you know, that one of those opening scenes where the the black Mustang speeds by and the cigarette mm-hmm. drops in a frame. I mean, that's such an easy shot to do because the yeah. camera's just sitting there and you drop it and it seems like it came out of the car, but that's it's right. so cool, you know? Yeah, it marries together well in an edit room. <laughs> and it has that little blue, there's like, like a little blue X or something on the... On it was the, a blue
3: arrow. Yeah, on the that, filter. That, that led his gaze to the other payphone, mm-hmm. which doesn't pay off until the last, you know, the Scooby-Doo ending. Where he's like, well, let me tell you how it how it went down. <laughs> <laughs> Zoinks. And I was wondering last night. I was like, is he really going to do that? Because I thought it was just sort of playing with that trope. But he did.
4: Well, it's almost Agatha Christie in a way, too, or, or one of those where, or you know, Hercule Perrault is going to tell everyone. Right. There, you know. Here's what happened. Yeah. Clue. Like, Everyone's sitting around yeah. and all, you know, <laughs> everything's going back and forth. Like, well, let me tell you what
3: happened. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. Just in case you didn't catch it. And this movie needed that. Because it was
4: it was legit, sort of hard to follow at times, one of the things I loved about it is you know the the ti- it all ties together right there at the end, the brick, the brick of heroin that's missing because right. those are the words she
3: said brick uh the pen um the the guy's name that uh would on the bad brick uh-huh I can't remember what his name was in yep. the movie, but it sort of all tied together, but I mean this is one of the my favorite things about noir movies or, or any kind of movie that does this, which so starts. Like you don't know what happens until
4: the very end. Yeah, yeah, and a good one certainly keeps you guessing all the way to the end. And the, I think that one of the things I liked about this too is like, unlike Hitchcock, you know, who always like, you know, the MacGuffin isn't really that important. Usually, yeah. that thing, you know, it's like the microfilm in North by Northwest. Who cares about the microfilm right. by the end of that movie? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it, you, you don't even care about it for you don't even, you don't know what it is for most of the movie, and then when you find out it's a microfilm in that little statue, you're like, right. so what? Is Cary Grant going to fall off the face of Mount Rushmore? Or, yeah, that's <laughs> <you> what matters. <laughs> exactly. But uh, in this one, the the brick actually matters at the end. It's, yeah. In, in a sense, like, it's the thing, as he's telling her, he's like, you know, even at the end, she's trying to coax him in to be with her. And he's like, well, yeah. I'd love to, but this is what I said happened. You know, basically, in, in, at the end, he's like, he's, he's written to the authorities, which is the principal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, A.K.A. Shaft. Yeah, by by the Richard way, Richard yeah. What a what a great role for him. <laughs> the vice principal. It's so great. <laughs> he was the guy. Yeah, he was the. And they had some, and he was like, you know, he was the police basically. He was, yeah, he, was he was like the police role. chief that hauls in the detective and says, "What are you doing?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spade, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, but we're all on the same team. We want the same thing. Yeah, it's like Sam Spade getting hauled into, you know, uh-huh. before the police. You know, Captain Chumley. Because <laughs> so many times in those movies, the the detective used to be a police officer, and he right. left. The, you know, think about Chinatown. He used to be on the police force, right? Because some the police force usually. was dirty, and he, right. I guess not that Jake Eddies was the the cleanest guy, and
3: well, but what I still didn't quite follow was, um, uh, JGL or Brendan. He went away for a little while and came back from school, and I still can't figure out exactly what had happened.
4: Well, I, yeah, I think – well, he turned somebody in, right? Or he ratted on somebody. Something was going on that he got somebody in trouble. I can't remember what the – but he was doing the right thing as, as far right. as I recall. Because I think – I feel like he – I should bring up plot synopsis. Because I feel like he tells <laughs> Richard Roundtree that, you know, I'm not your
3: – Yeah, I'm not your – I'm not your spy or your stooge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weak. That it's was like the that thing. It was, was very convoluted. I mean – that's one way to say it. It was very complex. It's yes. a more kind way to say it. Because convoluted appears like accidentally confusing, but well, he was in an advanced English class, so
4: right. it really all made <laughs> sense after I, I saw his his schedule.
3: Uh, I love too. At the beginning, he goes to uh, that party, which is the the Halloween in January, which is the least high school party in any high school movie ever. <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly. It was like it's very Stanley Kubrickian. Yeah, that's where they <laughs> spent all their money. You expected it to be to turn into a giant high school orgy at any second everybody's totally <laughs> like Brian White was like dressed like in a toga and oh, yeah, was it was, wasn't it like a toga party or
3: uh, I mean it was Halloween in January, so there were dresses as all kinds of things, but yeah he was he was definitely greco
4: roman I guess everybody goes with certainly when you're younger there's <laughs> lots of sexy costumes all guys and girls are trying to show skin and yeah uh
3: apparently that house though was um a location that they got because. The rich guy who lived there was going to renovate it the next week and said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Just nice. know, lock up when you leave. <laughs> that kind of thing. So you know how it is with filmmaking. You can get to these little kind of sweetheart deals like, oh, I've got a mansion that's going to be torn down next month. Like we've got two days and we can use this thing that would have cost us so much money that yeah. this rich guy didn't really care about getting paid for.
4: Bring, bring all 14 lights. Let's let's right. shoot this thing. <laughs>
0: Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
3: Uh, I kind of wondered at times, too, if and I found out I was wrong because it was always conceived as a high school version. But at times I was wondering, like, did he just write this as a, a real noir or like, well, a standard noir? Standard noir and then just retrofit it to be, like, different. And that's wow. apparently not the case.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, he was young, so it probably made sense. I mean, I, I don't know if this is his first film. I'm, I'm sure he probably has. I think it was
3: his first film. Right. In his early 30s. And he shot it where he went to high school. He shot it at his high school, St. Clemente. Always <laughs> hard to be set for that. I mean, isn't Rushmore, like, shot at uh, the academy that— uh, I think one of the the schools— was. It was either the public school or Rushmore.
4: Was the one that he— Was where Wes, Wes Anderson uh, Yeah, I mean, what a, what a treat to be able to shoot your first movie in your— Oh, man, my high school's the not photogenic. <laughs> But it formed you.
3: That's true. My high school famously had no windows. So it was... uh, We could go back to that office where you and Jim did the
4: morning morning report. Yeah, the morning radio show.
3: Um, The girl in the red dress who... uh, What was her name in the movie? Not Emily, of course. No, Emily's the one that died. It was uh, Kara?
4: Well, that was Megan Good. Oh, no, no. You're right. Laura. Yeah, Laura turns out to be the femme fatale, right? Yeah, but Laura was the one that
3: um, – and I apologize if it sounds like I'm floundering, but there were just a lot of similarly named
4: people. <laughs> it was uh, – I mean, that's the thing about – I mean, I would be hard-pressed to, to walk you through the Maltese Falcon right now, turn for turn. That movie, Yeah. like every time I watch it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That little – well, right there this is sort of the same way when I was watching this last night. I was a little
3: bit not worried, but I was like, geez, when we talk about this, this, this is going to be tough. We're not going to be able to go beat for beat here. I need a flow chart. <laughs> <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> but the long story short is uh, Emily has died and he is now uh, on the trail to solve her murder uh, through this uh, group of friends. And we realized that Emily had gotten wrapped up in a local high school drug ring.
4: Yeah, it's it, it's it's such a great tie into high school because basically Emily, he wants to be with her. He has her his he feels and he seems to have her best interest at heart, but mm-hmm. she wants to be popular. It's right. such a great tie into high school, you know, and, yeah. and she, you know, that quest to be popular ends up killing
3: her. Yeah, and that one uh, scene, the only one with he and Emily, was really really good.
4: Uh, she was terrific, and that, and that's after she's called him asking for help. He's mm-hmm. actually where she puts a note in his locker, right. He's on the phone. She calls for help. And then he sees her and she's like, oh, everything's fine. Right. And he knows it's not. So Yeah.
3: And she's just like, just leave me alone. Like, if you really cared about me, you'd just get over me and leave me alone. Yeah. Everything's good. And he's like, no. And
4: it all plays off that powerful opening of him finding the body. And then at the end, as he finds the body, the last thing you see is him carrying the body into the tunnel. Right. So what Which do we- is plot point one? Yeah. 30 like, minutes. What did he do with the body? Uh, he hid it. But he I mean, exa- didn't show it. But, but you know what I mean? It's like as, yeah. as you're watching, you're like, what's he doing? Yeah, Why wouldn't it, he – you know, why, why didn't he call the police? Why didn't he? Right. But of course he wants to solve it. He's afraid that classic detective, the police will foul this up. Yeah. I exactly. have to solve it. I got to handle – I'm the only person who can solve this. Uh,
3: but it's not so clear. Like he doesn't s- declare these things. It no. just sort of unfolds. Um, and, and also in that scene, the, uh, we realize someone else is in the tunnel. Which we don't know who this is until much later.
4: Oh, that's right. He does hear someone running from the other end or something. That's right. Something, yeah. Yeah,
3: someone sees him move the body. Yeah. uh, And that turns out to be uh, Dode. Dode, yeah. Who is the punker who uh, is, well, he's he's with Emily. Isn't that right? Isn't that who she's with initially? Yeah. Because there's the whole mystery of Mm -hmm. whose baby is it. Yeah. Because at one point we think it's Dode and
4: uh, I think it's... Um. The, and I think later on, Laura tells Tug, who is Pin's thug, the, pin, the, the Pin's Tug the thug, is the thug, Tug the thug. <laughs> He's the muscle. I think. Yeah, Tug ends up dating her, right,
3: and, and thinks it's his kid too, mm-hmm. and it all gets messed up. But then we find out in the end, in the very, very end, that it was, uh, and in the most brutal way possible. Because remember the line she says, uh, she told me that she couldn't be with the father because she didn't love him. Yeah, well, and the, it was three months ago. So you know whose baby that makes it.
4: Well, yeah. So she's, but but that's after he's. She realizes that he's turned her in. So oh yeah, yeah, I, sure. So I always wondered, was she is, that, saying is that? that true, or is she just? Oh, is she just. Well, the only thing she can do is hurt him. Right this way. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But you know, either way, it's it's a brutal line. Yeah, it is a very brutal line. Yeah. There's a lot of great lines in this movie, but it's one of those things that brings it full circle too. That after you realize that he's turned her in and uh-huh. she says that you're like well I'm glad he turned her you know what yeah I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's like because up until then she's been she never lets on that you know he real he realizes she's the one that set Emily up that uh-huh. she stole the to brick all this and that's the right. first time she does something right you know what I mean uh-huh yeah that's true but it, but it confirms it that you know whether she would make that up or lie either way yeah what a horrible person
3: well the the one part that I didn't quite fully get and that it's explained away in a way that wasn't fully satisfying to me was when he beats up. Um, Brad uh, I didn't get why he did that and in the movie it sort of explained like well you know he's a big customer of the pen and now I've got his attention I've got the pen's attention and I thought that was one of the only sort of weaker threads in this film yeah yeah, I, I didn't fully grasp that
4: but it's fine I mean I guess it, I, I buy it in a noir sense of uh, he's he's messing up his his nefarious crime operation, so we're going to have to deal with him, you know. Yeah, I guess so. That makes a little bit of sense. But the high school thing makes it a little bit... Yeah, that, so that's, that's someplace where the high school thing sort of weakens the noir thing, because you're like, oh, so what? Somebody beat somebody up in high school? Yeah, yeah.
3: there were times where... Wah. Yeah, I think the high <laughs> school thing definitely didn't uh, fully support the thing. It didn't raise the stakes that he was, you know... But it also allowed you to do some fun stuff, like when he has that initial meeting with the vice principal, he has that whole... That whole spiel, and at the very end, he gets up and goes, I'll see you at the pa- parent-teacher conference. <laughs> another one of the few times. And he also yeah. says, too, uh, this is another great line. He's like, I'm just telling you now so you don't go kicking in my homeroom door when the trouble starts. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, man. It, I mean, he had a little bit of a sense of humor about it, but he largely played it straight. Yeah. You yeah. know? Well, if it's you know set in high school is pretty loose cuz it was basically set outside of a high school. I don't I, I don't I, I don't it,
3: think there's any high school scenes are there really. Yeah,
4: I think I think Brown Tree's office is the only yeah. place that the only interior maybe a maybe a library.
3: Yeah, yeah, maybe, but it, it did feel like um and this might have been a nod to sort of those 80s high school movies where you felt like they were never in class. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> it's like when are they actually going to school? That's a. I I think I told you I watched et with lily for the first time she'd never seen it and and she'd walked away going where were their parents (laughs) oh it's a different time and i i I bust her all the time now like with hocus pocus i'm like where are their parents (laughs) (laughs) is that your go-to criticism oh yeah i heard like frozen i'm like where are their parents (laughs) she's like they're shipwrecked i'm like exactly (laughs) Oh.
3: oh that's funny i'm gonna start saying that too i'm gonna actually don't tell her you told me this i'm just gonna say that next time I'm around her, and something's going on. Where are their parents? Um, then we get that great scene with uh, with Tug and the Mustang when he goes and he's about to bust into it with the oh yes. the cinder block. He, he sees it in the uh, <laughs> and
4: he comes like flying he's, at him. From... Oh well, he just
3: comes walking like you know a bat out of hell, and he's just so intimidating. This kid, you know, in the white tank top and the, like the sock on his head, but he's he's <laughs> muscly and he's fucking angry. And and you learn that the pen is. Uh, is scared of his own muscle, like yeah. because he's out of control. Because yeah, because he's 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 not just a violent guy; he's a uh,
4: screw loose violent guy.
3: Yeah, which is not someone you want on your team. Um, but that's such a great scene because he kicks the shit out of him. He keeps getting back up, keeps getting back up. And that's one where he keep, he keeps telling him he wants to meet Brain, right? Uh, yeah, uh, he, or he, he Brian, want, or not the pin. He wants to meet. Yeah, the he pin. wants to meet the pin. And so then he you know he gets in the car, and I think they ramp up the speed, uh-huh. so it pulls out of there so fast, and he throws the rock at it. He stops for a minute. Then leaves. Wait a few beats, and then he comes back. <laughs>
4: uh, <laughs> and another great, maybe not great cinematography, but a wonderfully effective shot where he like stops right on a, a dime before he runs him over. Basically, doesn't he? And that, how that, yeah, he which, like, uh, like he's gonna run him over, and he just stops. Yeah. And and you're a filmmaker, you
3: know how they do that. But for those of you listening, uh, what they do is is they shoot that in reverse with the car. You know, they start right up on that bumper, and, and then the car out away, yeah. backs away. And At whatever speed, and then you speed up the film, reverse it, and that's how you get someone seemingly dangerously close to running someone over.
4: The end. Absolutely. It's
3: a pretty good trick. That's the gospel.
4: It still works. Well, it's such a great trick for lots of things. When you need to nail focus on something super tiny or something like, you know, if you can ever shoot it in reverse and start in focus and then go out of focus, then, you know I mean? Certainly for static shots, you know, Uh sometimes that's the easiest way to –
3: I think they did that for another shot at the iconic tunnel when, um, I think it's when Emily walks out. I think they had her walk backwards into the tunnel and did it a certain way so uh, so the trash could float in the right direction toward Joseph Gordon Levitt. Ah, uh, yeah. That's so, cool. you know, I'll solve have to the pay problem. attention to that. Yeah. It's good stuff.
4: Yeah, things can always go backwards. <laughs> it wasn't for today.
3: <laughs> also love the scene when uh, he first meets. Uh, well, first of all, Tug is sort of a dum dum because he uh, his is His name able, is Tug. He throws him in the trunk to take him over there blindfolded, supposedly, and he's able to crack the trunk and see where he's going the whole time. Yeah, um, which turns out to be like his little trick on how to get out of there. He's got this information now; mm-hmm. like he knows or how what, to
4: or how to find the pin again, and that how he yeah uses exactly. It?
3: Yeah. He's like, I know where we are, but um, when he first gets thrown into the room with the pen and he looks up and everything's out of focus. And then he puts on his glasses, and it snaps into focus. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun little nod. I think I love that stuff.
4: Well, that's when the story heats up too, because basically, in order to solve Emily's death, he he has to he has to get inside yeah, to the, the pins operation, and he basically yeah. tells him he wants to do it, and. and I definitely remember the part where he, you know, the pen basically tells me, he's like, by tomorrow you'll either be part of the team or I'll have you rubbed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll know within 24 hours. <laughs> which is, you know, great
3: for Lucas Haas to use oh, those words. Yeah. Us. It was great. Well, and he knows um, that sort of confuses the next thing that happens, which is uh, Brendan gets chased down by the slasher who's, who knifes him in the arm. And I thought, and I think you're supposed to think that that was the, the answer, is you're going to get rubbed out.
4: Yeah, that, that the pin had sent him is what you're supposed to think.
3: Yes, but you don't find out again until the end, the very end, when he, the last time he talks to Brain, that I think it was uh, Dode. Or that was Brad. No, it was Brad. Who he had beaten right. up the, uh, the the football star. Yeah, he had sent the slasher after him, <laughs> no. which has a legit good, great
4: foot chase. And then the best Speaking ending of a foot chase, the best ending to a foot chase I've ever seen. Well, it's just such a great little noir twist. It's so weird. Like he runs around the corner and takes his shoes off as fast as he can. I was like, "Why is he doing that?" So he couldn't hear him. I guess. I guess so. But it's just, it was a little weird. It's believable enough in in that like sort of heightened world of noir, but uh-huh. it's also it's also very Coen Brothers kind of funny. It's, it was very Coen. It's like it's like Blood Simple when he when he you know when he shoots when a he shoots him in the office. Right. And he doesn't move. And you're like, is he dead? Did he right. shoot
3: him? Did yeah, <laughs> Yeah, this definitely had a little Cohen's DNA. Yeah. Um and that great again with um with just sort of filmmaking on the cheap and little tricks you can do with sound and visuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you see him trip the guy and then you just hear dung. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't actually have to film the guy running into the pole, which
4: requires a stunt person and uh, you know, like Yeah, he basically he, he trips him out of frame, I think, and then yep. the camera pans. And by then, he's the sound you effect just, just and he's on the ground, and you <laughs> know what happened.
3: <laughs> he's on the ground right by the pole. Yeah, problem I solved. Mean, it was so funny, and just such a weird ending to that scene. Um, But this is when you sort of, like you said, the movie really kind of heats up when he learns that Emily had tried to join Penn's gang, was rejected, supposedly steals the brick, is what we think at this point. Uh, and he finally hires Brendan uh, after this foot chase, that's the beach scene. I guess mm-hmm. is where he tells him he's sort of in, and that's where he reveals too that uh, that he thinks Tug is yeah, Tug is worrisome yeah for him. And Brendan certainly plays on that vulnerability. You know, yeah, I like yes, Tug is not good news.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm the right guy for the job. Yeah, it felt very uh, it felt very Miller's Crossing. You, you feel like uh, a Gabriel, yeah. Gabriel Byrne going to. Uh, yeah. Going and, and changing sides, you know, so that he can ferret out what's really going on, basically. Yeah, Miller's Crossing is, is like all these movies, you have to put your thinking cap on a little bit, you know? Every, every, they, yeah, nobody is what they seem, for sure. Every, everybody's right. Everybody's lying or hiding something, which is... Yeah. That, like I said, that's one of the things I love about noir is the intricate plotting that's... I mean, certainly I love a good character study, you know, yeah. a, a leaving Las Vegas or whatever, yeah. but... There's something satisfying about these. They're such puzzles that you know, yeah. when it fits together really well it's and impressive. there's no holes, you're like, oh, that's really well thought out.
3: Yeah, because I think you and I both as writers uh, and screenwriters have – we we always have had a Jones to do something <laughs> like this. Or – Fucking Ryan Johnson is now doing the other thing we always wanted to do. Making a Star With, Wars movie, making Well, that, movies. but I'm talking about Knives Out. <laughs> yeah. Which is the uh, Agatha Christie, you know, 10 people in a room and one of us did it. You and I have always talked about <laughs> writing something like that. And one of the reasons
4: we haven't is cuz it's so intimidating, I think. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's so hard to do really well. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and the older you get, you realize you're right. Boy, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you're young. You're like, oh, I'm just going to crank one of these out. Yeah.
3: Knives <laughs> Out is supposed to be
4: great, too. We've got to see that one together. It's funny, uh, especially after we did your show, uh-huh. uh, your How Stuff Works, uh, the TV yeah. show we did. Stuff You Should Know. Man, we had so many characters in that show. There, yeah. were, there were so many people. And uh, it was always such a challenge to get everybody on camera because mm-hmm. there'd be 14 people in a room. And I, I faced that many times since then in work. And I I now carry a picture from agatha from a Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, really? Where they're all in the train car, and there's 16 people in the shot, and you can see every one of their faces. Oh, wow! And that's what I showed to big groups now, and they're like, "I'm like, this is how you find the camera." It's like this is. I was like, "Well, how is it? What's what's the secret?" You, you, as an actor, you just have to look and make sure you can see the lens. Oh, okay. You can't see it; it can't see you. But it's. It's hard with young actors. They don't get it. They're like, I'm right here. What do you mean you can't see me? And it's just right. the nature of a lens or something. It's like, well, the, the, you know, this lens is, you know, the, the field of view is more narrow. So you're just right there. But you're, you know, the curvature of the lens, you're behind them now. I don't see your right. face. Or I see only see one eye. And it's like, we want to see you. You're important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we've hired you to be an actor. Like, we want to see your face. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it is hard when you have 15 people in a shot, you know, yeah. that's – it's difficult. Yeah. Plus, plus, you want actors to be acting and doing their thing and not worried about you. But right. that's I one of those rare times where there has to be a, a good dance, right? Yeah. Did it, you see the um, – wasn't that remade, Orient Express? Kenneth Branagh did it, which I thought was – Was it good? It, it seemed a bit tone deaf. It seemed a little oh, really? uh, like a male take on it. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, more male than Agatha Christie's take. Right. I mean, it was fun. I mean, you know, it, it's – Not I, great, I, though. We, we sort of lost our sense of humor, you know. It's yeah. Like a, you know, Ten years ago, I wouldn't have said that, but now right. I'm like, well, I, the feminine perspective was <laughs> was lost. <laughs> it was lost, yeah. You know? Well, we got to see Knives Out together. Make but it, w- it was pledge. fun. Make yeah, I, w- I will see that. I, I feel like we're in a bit of a movie dearth right now. I'm looking forward to.
3: Yeah, I mean, things should be heating up here in the holiday season, Oscar bait and whatnot.
4: Yeah, I guess we, we are is sort of in post, the doldrums
3: between summer and... Yeah, that's the worst, man. The worst time of the year summer is... Summer and Thanksgiving, That Christmas. and then post like the beginning of the year, January through March is yeah. pretty brutal too. boy,
4: anything that comes out like January 12th. Yeah. You just...
3: <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be called Studio Garbage. <laughs> it's like we, we... AKA we have to release this sometime. <laughs> um, We're sorry, America.
4: <laughs> coming to, you, to a theater near you. January so 12th. So
3: at this point... Uh, Brendan gets the call from Dode, who uh, f- fully believes that he has killed Emily because he's the one that was in the tunnel and he's the one that saw him with the body.
4: Yeah, Dode believes, uh, believes our hero, Brendan Jason, Joseph Gordon Levitt, killed her. Yeah, and he's like, "No, man, it
3: wasn't me, and it wasn't me." And they had it was a really good scene. All the acting in this movie is really good. I thought
4: well, and he has good reason to believe he saw him with the body. He's her jilted lover, and of course, Dode wants to get even with him because he was also he was. Isn't Dode who Emily was with right after Brendan? Yeah, I think so. Before she was with Tug, right? Yeah, which I guess was you know her her last ditch attempt to get into the the cold I drug so, gang. Maybe
3: because Tug was certainly not uh, like a, a real catch in any
4: way. No, he was just a he seemed he, like a big dumb dumb. He had yeah. a cool car, I guess that was. <laughs> and well, he's the one that actually kills Emily, right? He, yeah, and that, he kills her after Laura tells him that that the baby was uh, Dodes. Boy, Laura really does suck. She, gets, she does. She gets Emily killed. It was, it was you. It
3: was you all along. Um, not you, her. Uh, things are really heating up, though, and one of the things that this movie does, which I think is really cool that a lot of noir films do really well, is um, the story gets a momentum where it feels like no one is controlling it, and it's kind of like... It's building on itself, and it's like it's it's in control of itself.
4: I, th- I think that's exactly one of the things I really love about him. Well said. Is that the the, the story takes on a life of itself? It's yeah. like all these all these events have been set in motion, and that's there's right. and it's it's going to have to play out no matter what. There's right. no, nobody's in control anymore. No character can say, "Oh, I'm I'm not going to go fight the dragon," or "I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to attack the Death Star." <laughs> yeah, and <laughs>
3: you know, come to think of it, Laura even has a line that sort of alludes to that. Um, it might be a nod and a wink where he's talking about going to that final meeting with Tug and the pen. Don't do it. Yeah, and she's like, "Don't do it." And she's like, "It's going to play out. How it's going to play out? Whether or not you're there. Like, in other words, the story has a life of its own at this point.
4: Well, such a great, a great, an essential trope of the noir is is that post World War II cynicism yeah. of like you know fatalism that, that things are going to be what they're going to be. You know, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not going to be. How many times has the the detective got that femme fatale that if he just turned turned the other way and ignored ignored the injustice, yeah, he'd get the hot girl and you know, but he never can.
3: No, he never can. Um, he he snoops around Penn's house and that's where he finds that cash and the brick of drugs in the other room and that's where Tug gets to him.
4: Is it Tug? Somebody knocks him out, right? Or, yeah, it's Tug. Yeah, and he wakes like, up and the brick is gone. And and basically, once he wakes up, the brick is gone. And then, like, there's a war, like Pin and Tug are. Uh-huh. They're at war with each other. But he wakes up and Tug's, like, Tug takes
3: him. right? And he takes him home. And he tells him, he's like, you're at my house with my folks. <laughs> with my people. And he's like, you're, uh, you know, you're with us now. And Don't they
4: all wear T-shirts or something, too? Yeah, and there's something like very, the, uh, the white
3: tank tops. Yeah,
4: they're, they're, they're very much a.
3: Yeah. And you can't, uh, and you just see a couple of them passing by. <laughs> um. But that, that's a great line, too, And he said, like, you're with us now or whatever, and jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's just waking up. He goes, the hell I am. Yeah. And he tries to get out of there. Um, but I think he realizes what he's got to do, and he can't just split at that moment.
4: Well, he realizes he's, he's going to have to sneak out. But but even, like you said, his line is, like, the hell I am. It's like, you know, your noir guy is, is never going to pretend to be. Someone he's not you know he's, right. al- he's always gonna speak his truth and that's why he keeps getting beaten up and yeah know. yeah, uh,
3: and that leads to the the great scene you know where they have to meet at the tunnel, which we didn't mention the the note uh that looks like a sort of the anarchy a, and they were trying to figure out what that was at the beginning
4: but that was a that was an interesting little uh story plot device with a brain yeah. telling it's like uh that apparently like i guess I forget what they call them the socias something uh-huh. like that the rich kids like they use right. these little these little pictographs, so they they can have secret meetings without yeah. g- giving it away, because <laughs> it's not seen anywhere else. I don't think there's another pictograph anywhere. It's only no, that not. one of the tunnel. Yeah, but it's such a such a sort of obtuse plot device yeah. that he gets away with because.
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, there are a couple of these things. I think that that have first time filmmaker attached to it. It doesn't make the movie any worse. But like that probably seemed really important at the time. It almost seems better in the sense that he
4: created such an intricate yeah. little world. You know, it's you're kind of like, oh, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to go get my picture taken in front of that tunnel. It's pretty great.
4: <laughs> it's Apparently, it's like near the near the high school or something.
3: Like, yeah, it's right there in San Clemente, Orange County. There's probably a dozen of them that
4: you'll, you'll be like, which one is it?
7: <laughs>
3: but that scene, man, when uh, when they all meet down there, it's like very tense.
4: Well, it's so great because somebody's going to get killed. You got, yeah. You basically got brain, or you've got Dode, pin, tug, tug, and, and him. Brendan, yeah. And Dode's in the process of he—he's about basically he's about to unload a pin and tell him, yeah, that Brendan is the one that killed Emily. And Tug is such a meathead, he doesn't realize that he's about to get away with it scot-free. He's over
3: there just ripping up that grass. He's getting more and more fucking worked up.
4: Yeah, and he ends up killing him, doesn't he? Doesn't he kill Dode? Yeah, I
3: mean, he beats the shit out of him and then blows his fucking head off in the tunnel.
4: Yeah, I couldn't remember if he killed him or just beat him. Yeah,
3: he beats him silly and then blows his head off with a revolver. And just the uh, filmmaking-wise, like that that's a great little set. You know, that that static shot of that tunnel because mm-hmm. you can just – the way you place people around that set is uh, is uh really interesting, I think.
4: Yeah. I mean, talk about a proscenium arch. There it is. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, it's, that's it's, it's like playing it, playing it on a stage there. It's like the Hollywood Bowl.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, a sewer river running through it. And a river runs through it. Uh <laughs> Such a great scene, though. Like, so tense. I found myself like – Super like anxiety. T- my body was tensed up during that whole scene because I couldn't really remember what happened.
4: Yeah, I, I, maybe that's one of my favorite things about noirs too is that there's so many little, there's so many intricate beats that, no matter how many times I see them, I I tend to forget beats here and there, and I'm I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that they, they, they they're like delicious little bites of food when you when yeah. you come across them again. It's like getting that. It's like when the last pistachio out of the bag is the best one. You're just <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> All right. That's a good little nugget. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: he has his moment of love again with his ex, Laura, and that's when he spies the cigarette butt with the blue arrow. Oh, that's uh, right. That's when, that's when he ties it all together. Yeah, realizes. that's when it all comes together. And you don't really know for sure what that means still at this point. You just know that that's a cigarette that fell out of the car. That Emily was scared of. Exactly. Initially. Initially. Um, but what we don't know is that that she because was by on then a different seen, phone.
4: But because – yeah, because there's such a great misdirection there, too, because that car is Tug's car, so you think.
3: Right. But what we, what we learned, though, is that she was on the other side of the street and looking in the driver's window
7: mm-hmm.
3: um, that Laura was driving, I guess, right?
4: Or no, would that have been Tug? Yeah, somehow Emily sees Laura, and that's who she's scared of, not Tug. Right, exactly. Because at that point, Tug would be Tug and her dating. Yeah, Right, okay, that even makes more sense, now. and Emily turns tug on her because Tug kills her right, man, yeah, see it gets you see the more you talk about the more you know that's what's so fun about him, yeah, here's what I would not recommend either is getting super
3: stoned in watching this movie. <laughs> I wouldn't know from experience, but this uh, is a movie that's probably best followed uh very sober yes i've I've seen studies um he also sets tug up uh as he leaves, you know you've got this um brutal scene at the end with the meeting where Tug ends up uh, like the cops raid and Tug beats Penn to death. Yeah. Is what you hear as he's leaving.
4: And somehow Joseph Gordon-Levitt escapes
3: all that, right? He did. I mean, he had the gun in his hand and the whole time I was like, what you kind of think is going to happen is the cops are going to come down there and shoot him because he's holding the gun. Yeah. And you're just going like, put the gun down, man. Put the gun down. Which he does. And he kicks it out of the way and as he's leaving... He flies out of the house and he passes the trunk of Tug's car where he has that's where Emily's body ended
4: up because he wanted to make sure that Tug got you know wanted to make sure the person who did it yeah. once again you know his his goal the whole time was to make sure justice was done so it, it's that's taken right. him all this to find out who did it and yeah. that that was the real goal all along
3: Yeah and you think that's sort of the end I mean it feels almost like a false ending a couple of times but um in the true norrish fashion Norrish? Noirish? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get that great scene on the football field where he sort of,
4: you know. Where all great high school movies end. Yeah, true. Breakfast Club. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Well, well, he you know, Tug is, you know, and, and maybe the parlance is the button that Emily pushes to. Right. Or that Laura pushes to have Emily killed, you know. Yeah. He, he did it, but she caused it.
3: Yeah, and that's sort of a, another tropey character is the easy to manipulate uh tempered angry tempered guy mm-hmm. ill-tempered because anyone can ma- manipulate tug he's so easily
4: manipulated in this movie well, by everybody a, yeah he's just a, he's he's at the at the at the end of his own emotions yeah like he, like you get almost him, you get him mad you get him <laughs> sad you get him <laughs> yeah you could tell him anything
3: and it it could end with she said what <laughs> like he would just believe whatever you tell him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah man. She said you had no penis. <laughs> <laughs> she said what? <laughs> He's that guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> He's just looking for a reason to fight someone to prove
3: anything. <laughs> that end is so great though. I mean this is on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Well, it's a nice end
4: too because it's – You check it out. It breaks from a lot of noir in the sense that ultimately – the guilty people are punished. I mean, think about Chinatown. Like, the the, the harshest parts of that movie is that it mm-hmm. ends with with the woman, you know, Faye Dunaway, who's trying to protect her yes. her daughter born of the incestuous relationship Brutal. with her, John Huston. She gets killed by accident, mm-hmm. and then the end is John Huston taking his granddaughter, who, who is his daughter-slash-granddaughter, away. It's who, just a gut punch. Yeah, that's, you know, in the end, yeah. forget about it. It's Chinatown, you know? Yeah,
3: this this movie at least has a satisfying ending because... Everyone goes down. I didn't want to see the pen killed because I like that character. Yeah. But, you know. It's hard to root against Lucas Haas. Yeah. But um, he does. And uh, Tug is ostensibly arrested. You don't hear that happen.
4: Yeah, I forget. Yeah. Well, I guess he gets arrested in the shootout or something like that. I mean, at that point, when Brendan runs away, the police are closing in. Yeah. But But it it was her all along, though. Yeah. It's a nice ending, too, because he doesn't. Knew anything she incriminates herself at the end, he simply gives his hunch that the brick, you know, if this is what I think is true, then you'll find the brick in her locker. And yeah, so so you know she's going down, but but, but how, how great is that in high school? It's like you the illegal drugs are in your locker on school grounds, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. safest place I could keep that's it was true. in a locker, <laughs> that's cool.
3: and that great shot of the brick falling to the floor and like breaking apart mm-hmm. because it had been cut, you know, that's what we learned too. That's why the guy was in a coma. Was because she had cut the uh, the drugs with I can't remember what chemical it was that Brain found.
4: This seems like such a problem with drugs. Why isn't there just a a, a high quality alternative to to cut your drugs with? Why, why don't they sell something <laughs> like that in the head shops? <laughs> <laughs> That's full of like minerals and vitamins. Yeah, and, right. And It'll a, make mm,
3: you feel even better. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Um, Not only are you going to be high as <laughs> AF, you're going to be really regular.
3: <laughs> Ruby said something AF the other day. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, the uh, Another kind of Norrish thing is you know she's going down at the end like legally, like the cops are going to get her. But sort of the worst punishment in this movie, though, is that he rejects her in the end. It's like that thing where they're like lip to lip almost. Uh huh. And she's like, "No, no, no, no. Say it ain't so." And he's like, "No, baby. I'm like that's it. I found you out. Yeah, I'm And I'm out of here." That's sort of the worst punishment in a movie like this.
4: Yeah. Well, he, you know, once again, he he does the right thing. He somehow, uh, you know, fends off the wily charms of the femme fatale. And then I think they tied up right there at the end that uh, that that the guy who chased him down and tried to kill him was hired by brad like that's the one yeah. thing that if they hadn't tied that up with the brain the lingering they, little bit yeah, yeah that was the red herring they had to throw in there that they had yeah. to pay off with a <laughs> with a little epilogue so it turns out <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure why not turns out it all did make sense <laughs> yeah good the, movie though man so kind good. of the equivalent to pulling the uh the squid head off the old man jones <laughs> in the scooby-doo <laughs>
3: I'm, uh, I was thinking about, like, why this movie works is because it was ballsy to try, and it, it so easily could have not worked. But, like, the acting is really good. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day with these movies, you've got to have – and I looked up Ebert, and Ebert said the same thing. He was like, you've got to have a great story, and you got to do it right, or else the rest of it is just, like, a trick. Like, I was said in high school? Get it? But it, yeah. it, it, fundamentally, though, at the root of this, as a really great detective
4: yarn. Yeah, your plot's got to hold together and and got to it's got to stand up to multiple viewings. I think it. Yeah, if, if you find something, if you find a flaw, then yeah, yeah. And certainly in this day of social media, if there's a flaw, somebody's gonna chime in, and then everyone will know in advance, you know, or, yeah. or that will be the wrap of the movie.
3: Yeah, I may watch it again soonish because this is one of these that uh, a close viewing after is pretty helpful.
4: Yeah, there's some other good ones. We, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Is another. Oh, yeah. Another good one. Uh, the Cook, the Wife, the Gun in the Noodle Shop. I always mask her that title, but it's the Chinese right. take on uh, Blood Simple. What about Simple. his wife and her lover? Wait, that, <laughs> no, that's a different movie. <laughs> cook The Gun in the Noodle Shop? Oh, no, terrible. we should do
3: that because I did Blood Simple already, and um, this is the, uh, the the an Asian version, right? Yeah,
4: and it's – I mean the cinematography is beautiful. It's yeah. funny. It's so true to the – like like beat for beat, very – I think it diverts a little bit, but it's it is also very uh very true to yeah. the to the original. And it's just fun. If you like Blood Simple, you'll yeah. love this. And for sure. All right.
3: Well we'll figure it out. Um maybe we'll also have to hit another I've never seen the Maltese Falcon. Like I wanna cover one of these old schools. It like, might have classics. to be
4: a three episode journey. We'll, really. we'll, we'll <laughs> definitely need a flow chart up on the wall for that one. <laughs>
3: is it pretty complex?
4: Yeah. It's like I said, I, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, Oh yeah.
3: Right. This is a tough one. All right, dude. Well, thanks.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for
3: coming in on short notice. Sorry about bumping you a couple of weeks. Still friends?
4: Yeah, I guess. Knives out? (laughs) Knives out, pinky swear? Pinky swear. Absolutely. Blood brothers. All right. Thanks, dude. All right.
3: Booty Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This
6: is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class.
4: Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
1: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.